You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. Man, I was a youth pastor for like 10 years, so I was, uh, it's hard for me as a preacher teacher right now uh, to never forget the stories that I've told as a youth pastor, so I'm going to tell you one. Uh, years ago, when I, I was pre-Jesus, I did not know Jesus Christ. My testimony is that at 18 years old, I had a radical conversion, came to faith in Jesus Christ, left a lifestyle of debauchery. I was the prodigal son story. I was the kid who had a good mom, good dad. And then I came to faith in Christ uh, at 18 after a period of time that I was just bad kid. So let me tell you one of my bad moment stories. I was junior high, okay? Uh, youth, youth past, uh, uh, the, the, I was junior high. We went to this big camp uh, on Salem Springs, uh, JBU, John Brown University. It's this big Christian camp. And this youth leader, I don't know, you've probably seen it before, but sometimes churches get in a cycle of hiring youth pastors because they don't, they like don't do good. And then they like, oh, I got to get a new one, got to get a new one. Well, they tried out their luck with this guy named Mike Lidecker. Mike, if you're watching this, I love you, man, but this was a crazy move. Um, so Mike Lidecker was the youth pastor at the time, and he decided to do this uh, uh, experience for all of the youth, the kids. There was about 150, 200-something kids on a college campus. It was called Summer Spree. He decided that unbeknownst to the leaders, unbeknownst to the kids, unbeknownst to the elder team, unbeknownst to anybody, he was going to fake an end-of-the-world scenario. So he comes from a military past, so they put on like army clothing. All of a sudden, like, like leaders were college students. They actually believed that this was the end of the world. And then Mike gets up in this meeting, and I'm a junior high kid, and I'm already distant from God, don't know Jesus at this point in time. Mike gets up and says, It's the end of the world, ladies and gentlemen. You boys and girls are going to have to make a decision. If you want to eat, if you want to drink anything, you're going to have to get the mark. And I'm sitting there with my friend, and I said, the mark? The mark of what? And he said, don't you know it's the mark of the beast that no one can buy, no one can sell anything? This is the end of the world. And literally, right then, junior high girls are like breaking out and crying, no! People are starting to cry. Leaders are starting to freak out, okay? They're starting to freak out. Leaders are freaking out. So I'm freaking out because they're freaking out. And uh, I see this, and my friend says, like, it literally, I think it is the end of the world, and, and, he, and they're the Antichrist has set up this, uh, this mark, and we have to take this mark. If we get this mark, then we can eat and food. And I said to my friend, I saw right through it, I said, this is a hoax, I said, I'm hungry, let's go get that mark. And I kid you not, they lined up all these kids, all these people, and they're sitting outside, hot, it's very, very hot in Arkansas during the summertime. Everybody's there, everybody's uh, uh, wanting to get inside, and me and my friend, who, by the way, are there just because our parents forced us to go at that point in time, and so we're rebellious kids, so we're sitting there, And we're eating this food, and on the other side of the glass are hundreds of kids watching us. And we're just eating like this in an air-conditioned environment. 
And my friend says, do you think, you think, uh, you think uh, this is real? I'm like, no, it's not real. And Mike Lidecker is going to get fired for this. And sure enough, what happened to us, it was a bad joke because it was a scary situation. And I'm ashamed that I would have taken the mark at that point in time just to eat food, to have a drink or whatever. And the reality is, is that there was nothing that happened, but that guy got in so much trouble. So many people um, were frustrated, scared to death, freaked him out about this in-world event. And the guy ended up, they had to let him go. But uh, it was, a, it was a, a scary situation. When we look today at God's word, we're going to analyze a couple of things. The Antichrist in culture and the Antichrist in the Bible. In culture, you've seen movies perhaps as The Good Omen or The Vatican Tapes or The Devil's Do, or you've seen or heard of these movies, Little Evil or Rosemary's Baby. I mean, it's all over culture. Right now, if you were to Google the word Antichrist, 20 million uh, 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 hits would come up. Uh, you'd find 20 million results. And what's shocking to me about the Antichrist in American culture is, listen, 50% of Americans believe that the Antichrist is coming in American culture. 50% of Americans, 20%, listen to this, 20% of Americans believe that the Antichrist is alive right now, right at this, at this moment. Um, people have often accused uh, individuals throughout history of being the Antichrist. Um, from the Pope tends to get Lots of accusation that he's the Antichrist. There's Mussolini who's been accused. John F. Kennedy has been accused. Ronald Reagan, Gorbachev, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, uh, Obama, and of course, Donald Trump. I don't think any of those guys are the Antichrist. And, and what we're going to see is the Antichrist has got to come from Europe. But there's been this constant and continual barrage of accusation and ideas. And what we need to do is be able to sift through the difference between what culture says and what the Bible says. But I, hear me on this. I do believe that there is possibility and perhaps even a probability that the Antichrist could be alive today. Listen to what one commentator, Gary Frazier, said. He said, somewhere at this moment, there may be a young man growing to maturity. He is in all likelihood a brooding, thoughtful young man. Inside his heart, however, there is a hellish rage. It boils like a cauldron of, metal, of, of molten lead. He hates God. He despises Jesus Christ. He detests the church. In his mind, there is a taking shape of the form of some dream of conquest. He will disingenuously present himself as a friend of Christ and the church, yet he will, once empowered, pour out hell itself onto this world. Can the world produce such a prodigy? Well, consider Adolf Hitler, who was once a little boy, or Stalin, who was just a little lad, or Nero, just a child. The tenderness of childhood will be shaped by the devil into the terror of the Antichrist. The Bible does offer a surplus of information about the Antichrist. Many of you might have heard names like this. Just raise your hand if you've heard these names for the Antichrist. Um, According to uh, Revelation 13, he's called the beast. You ever heard of that? There you go. Uh, some of you might have heard in Second Thessalon Thessalonians, he's the lawless one. Some of you might have heard that he's the one who brings destruction, Second Thessalonians, or the worthless shepherd, according to Zechariah, or the prince who is to come, according to Daniel 9, or the fierce king in Daniel 8, 
or the little horn in Daniel 7 or the rider on the white horse, which I taught about last week, those four horsemen. There's all sorts of of descriptions, and the Bible gives more than 25 different names. He, He mimics Christ's ministry. He is an imitator. He is uh, one who acts like he is this new savior of the world. In the, when the next big event for you and me is, is in God's prophetic calendar is the rapture. And once the rapture happens, millions and millions of uh, Christians will be leaving planet earth. The believing will be leaving. They'll be gone. And it, in then there will be this economic, medical a disaster because the world will just stop working. And so then the Antichrist will show up as this kind of savior. And, and you, you might have seen in, uh, you might have heard in history, um, Adolf Hitler, how he was very much, probably out of any and all uh, people, he was the one labeled the Antichrist the most by what he would say. He tried to mimic the ministry of Christ, but he was twisted in evil. Erwin Lutzer writes well in his book called Hitler's Cross, saying Hitler offered himself as a Messiah with a divine mission to save Germany. On one occasion, he displayed a whip that he often carried to demonstrate in driving out the Jews. He said, I quote, I remind myself of Jesus in the temple, he declared. Just like Christ, I have a duty to my own people. Hitler was twisted, evil, uh, a horrendous, horrible individual, empowered by Satan himself. He was not the Antichrist, though. Um, This Antichrist will try to mimic the ministry of Jesus Christ. Um, Let's look at a couple of passages Uh, One in the New Testament that does use the word antichrist, and then we'll look at another one in Revelation. Um, The Apostle John is the uh, author of the two main passages I want to uh, share with you today. Let's look at 1 John 2.18. The Apostle John is writing in the first century. He's writing to believers that need encouragement and direction. And he writes this, children, he calls them children, It, 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 it is the last hour And you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. What is the last hour? It's the church age. It's the time that we are in right now. This is after the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. The initiation of the church is in our world today. The next age to come is the tribulation age. He says, though that an antichrist is coming, I'll call him the big A antichrist. And then he says, so now many antichrists have come. So what does he mean? One is there's one coming in the future. He's the big A antichrist. This one is the one who is the word antichrist is against Christ. Antichrist literally just means against Christ. So there is one coming in the future. And then there are many that are opposed to Christ. During the time of the Apostle John's writing, um, there was much persecution that was going on in the first century. In the beginning of persecution for the early Christians, it was sporadic through the Roman Empire. Later, as Nero comes into power, who, by the way, was labeled an antichrist as well, persecution for Christians in the first century is systematic across the board. Um, So, The Apostle John affirms there is one coming, and then there is already many antichrists. 
in American culture today, we find many people that are absolutely against uh, the Christian faith. Um, But here, what we are seeing is that there is one that is coming. The Apostle John also wrote uh, Revelation chapter 13, or wrote all of the Revelation from the island of Patmos while he was exiled uh, for his faith. Revelation chapter 13, 1 through 9. I'll read the passage and then try to explain as much as I can. And then we're going to walk through four characteristics of this Antichrist. Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. The Apostle John writes in this figurative language in order to give description and detail. He has this apocalyptic vision about the end of the world. And he says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with the ten horns and the seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and its blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And two and two. It, the dragon, gave his power and his throne and great authority. A couple of things people have asked, well, who are, what are these ten horns that are mentioned uh, in Scripture? I believe it's the ten kings. Uh, uh, Revelation 17, uh, 12 through 13 talks about that. Later, John explains that. There's these seven heads. These are rulers. Um, Then there's these names in verse 2, and I saw a beast. This beast is the Antichrist. I saw like a leopard, and then he mentions a bear and a lion. Very interesting. Daniel chapter 7, you look at, they give clarity and definition to uh, these are symbols and signs of other kingly nations. The leopard symbol was was Greece. Greece uh, held that as a leopard, much like our country. We have an eagle that represents the United States of America. Um, Then the bear is Medo-Persia, and then this Babylon is the lion. And then we know from the rest of Scripture that this dragon is uh, linked to the devil, Satan himself. He's often referred to as a dragon. So who is empowering the Antichrist, this beast? It is Satan himself. Satan demonically empowers an individual, a man, to become this world ruler who persecutes and brings havoc in hell on earth for all those that are uh, believers and for all people unless they worship him and their end is ultimately destruction. So let's continue to read. Verse 3, and it says, One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. So there's indication right there. Um, Let's go ahead and go to the next passage, I think it is. Um, It says, One of its, uh, verse verse 3, One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. There's indication to believe that this Antichrist mimics the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, like he's resurrected. And so this is, is, uh, is kind of a, a description of the mimicking ministry of this Antichrist. Verse 4, and they worshiped the dragon, that is Satan, for he had given authority to the beast, that beast is the Antichrist, they worshiped the beast, that is the Antichrist, saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? He's going to set up a political powerhouse 
form an alliance with 10 global leaders, uh, very likely kings from different parts of the earth after the time of the rapture and in the tribulation, and nobody will be able to wage war against him. Verse 5, and the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for, notice this, 42 months. If you did your math, that's half the time of a seven-year tribulation. It's very, very interesting. And Scripture indicates that the uh, persecution that happens will happen midpoint of the tribulation because in the first half of the tribulation, this Antichrist is going to be raising up like a clever, cool leader. Everybody's going to love him, but halfway through that tribulation, he's going to unfold a corrupt, corrosive uh, uh, attack on the church and everyone else who stands in his way. So that'll happen midpoint, uh, 42 months into uh, the, the, the beginning of the tribulation. Verse 6, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in earth. So he's, he's a God-hater. Verse 7, and it, allowed, it, it was allowed to make war on the saints... These are tribulation saints, those that come to faith in Christ after the the rapture. These are those that are left behind, according to Matthew 24. And it says, and to conquer them. Many people after the time of the rapture that are stuck here are going to have to endure trials and tribulations, and they do not want to take the mark. As if I would have known back in junior high what I was dealing with, like, like God was really real and the, script, the, uh, the, the Bible's real, I would have never played around like that. I was just foolish, ignorant, dumb. So it says, and authority was given to him over, to, to, over every tribe and people and language and nation that indicates global power and all who dwell on the earth will worship it Everyone else whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. The Lamb is Jesus. Verse 9, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. So there's this description of this Antichrist. There's also a word usage in, in John's writing in 1 John and 2 John of the word Antichrist. So what are some characteristics of the Antichrist? I'll give you four. Number one, the Antichrist will be a charismatic leader, meaning he's just going to win over and wow people. Um, my, one of my family's uh, uh, shows that we watch is uh, American Idol, where we, love, we don't love the name, but we love the story of seeing how these artists rise seemingly out of nothing and become popular overnight. It's crazy. And what's interesting, if you've watched the show before, um, what happens in that is they, they, rise, they get these uh, individuals, and many of them are incredibly talented musically and can uh, write songs and all that. But you know what's interesting is as the show goes on, you realize sometimes they're not evaluating, evaluating skill, they're, they're, they're loving and falling in love with the story. That many of these individuals come out of nothing. One guy was a garbage truck driver, and now he's a superstar. And America votes because they love the story. We love the story of coming from nothing. Well, It'll be the same with the Antichrist. He will have this kind of humble beginning, and he'll win over the hearts of humanity. 
really, really fast. People are going to fall in love with him. I mean, all throughout history, um, we've seen great leaders rise. Sometimes it just seems like out of nowhere. Consider Alexander the Great, who was only a petty prince, but four years later, he's master of the known world. And these individuals, they can just rise out of nowhere, and so it is with the Antichrist. He will seemingly just come out of nowhere. Additionally, um, his giftedness is going to be so, and people are going to be enamored with this individual's gifts. He will be highly intelligent. He will be stronger than most. He will be a gifted communicator. He will be politically savvy. He will be a military genius. But at the same time, while he's got all these gifts and his charisma is winning people over, he's going to have this ungodliness to him. He's described, as we already saw in Revelation 13, 6, as a blasphemer. He's, he's been described as a hater of God's law, according to 2 Thessalonians. He'll be consumed with selfish ambition. He will try to change biblical prophecies by twisting Scripture, according to Daniel 7. He'll ultimately pretend to be God and demand to be worshipped, according to Daniel 11 and 2 Thessalonians 2. All these passages are written down and recorded. I put them in daily devotionals online uh, coming out Monday through Friday. So if you're saying, man, you're quoting off a lot of passages or referencing, it's all written down and all documented for you guys. One Bible commentator says this, the Antichrist will be an attractive and charismatic figure, a genius, demon-controlled, devil-taught charmer of men. He will have the answers to the horrendous problems of mankind. He will be able to to be all things to all men. He'll be a political statesman, a social lion, a financial wizard, an intellectual giant, a religious deceiver, a master order, a gifted organizer. He'll be Satan's masterpiece of deception, the world's false messiah with boundless enthusiasm for the masses, and they will follow him and enthrone him and make him the savior. So what does Daniel say? Daniel chapter seven, verse eight Again, this metaphorical uh, imagery comes about. Daniel 7, 8 says, Daniel writes, I considered these horns, this is a prophetic vision, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one before which of the first horns were plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and mouth speaking great things. You might ask, well, who, what are the horns? The horns are representation of kings. You say to me, well, where do you get that? Go down if you've got your Bible, verse 24. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 24, it talks about these are kings. The imagery that Daniel is having is a vision of this global leadership that I was talking about. I, I spoke about that earlier, taught on that through, through the series. But there's this little horn. It's a little man, a little inconspicuous, nobody would think, who'd-a-thunk-it kind of person that's going to arrive on the world stage. Everybody's going to love him because he's coming out of nothing and then becoming something. I think about it how it mimics Jesus, though, right? He came from where? People say he was born in Bethlehem, but he spent a lot of time in Nazareth. And then when people ask questions about Jesus' ministry, who, what good can come out of Nazareth, Right? Well, the same thing with the Antichrist. People are going to say, who's this guy? Isn't he a nobody? But they're going to fall in love with his story because we love 
the story of redemption. We love the story of seeing people come and rise and bring hope. And this Antichrist will do that. He's a mimicking minister. He's a false Christ. And he'll have a smooth tongue. He'll be able to speak and say things. Now, oftentimes when we are watching in, in, uh, 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 politicians or people speaking, we evaluate much of the person's character by what they say. And while that is true, it's not entirely true. There are plenty of people that just give us uh, lip service. This Antichrist will have a smooth speech. He will have a speaking great things. So what else can we learn about this Antichrist? Additionally, what we can learn is that this Antichrist will be a clever leader. According to Daniel 7.8, let's just look at that verse just for a moment. Let's look again at that passage. Daniel 7.8, we'll see how he is a clever leader. Look what he does. The scripture says, I considered the, the horns and behold, there came up from among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. So what does that mean? This king, this little guy, he, he does an overthrow of the rest of the kings, at least three others. So what's going to happen with the Antichrist is he's going to be clever. He'll be so clever, he'll be able to outthink and dominate the 10 kings that he just enlisted to help him with global domination. He will overthrow these threes. He'll rip them up. It says pluck them out of the, by, by the roots is what uh, the imagery is. He will possess an uh, innate ability to outmaneuver, outthink anybody. He'll have the wisdom of Washington. He'll have the, the leadership of Lincoln. He'll have the bravery of Barack Obama. He'll have the toughness of Trump. He will be everything we want in a person to be, and we will buy in. Those that are here will be up. We, as believers, will be gone, okay, in the rapture. But if you're stuck and you're left behind, it's wholesale adoption. Just buy in masses and masses of people. His EQ will match his IQ, and it, he will be S-M-A-R-T. Really smart. He's going to have to him just this guarantee of peace and prosperity like nobody has ever seen. He's going to form an alliance with Israel. And some of you are like going, oh, didn't Trump just do that? Like in September 20th called the Abrahamic Peace Accord? He did. He's not the Antichrist. Comes, uh, the Antichrist comes out of the Gentile nations in Europe, as uh, Scripture seems to indicate. The peace accord that this Antichrist will create with the Jews and Israel will be at the beginning of the time of the tribulation, and it will far exceed anything Trump has done and the Arab nations and the agreement and all that. And then he's going to turn around and he'll break it three and a half years in. Bible commentator John Phillips says this, the world will go delirious with delight at this man's coming. He will seemingly have all the answers and be filled with the fullness of Satan. The dragon, empowered, is going to empower this beast, as John puts it. And I'm glad the apostle John calls it like a nasty creature, like Satan, you're a dragon, and Antichrist, you're a beast. Like, you just don't nickname people beast. I mean, some of you, maybe you play football, you're like, dude, you're a beast. But no, 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 no. This is not a good description of an individual. This is uh, horrific. He'll be handsome and charming and 
Uh, he'll be a genius, superbly at home with scientific disciplines, brave as a lion. He'll have a, an, a mystery to him. Uh, he'll tease the imagination with his speech and his brilliant conversational skills. He will have in a, be able to probably speak a number of different languages and have a soul-captivating uh, ability, and people will idol this person. And how does he do this? He does this because the world's in panic, and he begins to bring peace. The world will be in chaos, and he brings control. So what we see in Scripture is this um, outlining of the kind of person he will be. He will overthrow these kings referenced in Daniel chapter 7, verse 24, and Daniel chapter 7, verse 8. So he will overthrow these leaders. And by the way, that mention of these horns and whatnot is also going to be picked up by the apostle John, who will reaffirm Daniel's vision as well. And we'll see that shortly. But number three, the Antichrist will be a cruel leader. Absolutely cruel, twisted, weird, terrible, evil, beyond evil, grotesque. He will not show up like that. In the beginning, everybody's going to love him. Charismatic leader, clever leader, but he'll be deeply twisted and cruel. What does the scripture say? Daniel 7, 25. Daniel provides so much information about this Antichrist. Daniel 7, 25, look what it says. He shall speak words against the Most High. Who is the Most High? It's our Lord. And he will, shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And you think, well, what's so bad about wearing out? Wearing out means like if I wear out these jeans and I wear them too much, and they literally start to get holes in them. And you think, well, what's so bad about that? It's a form of suffering is what that is. It, He's not going to put people out of their misery. He's going to prolong their misery. That's what he's going to do. He's twisted, all the more twisted than anything you've ever seen before. The Bible portrays this uh, devastation falling on the earth. Um, Perhaps in Revelation, like I taught last week with these, the four horsemen, this coming stampede, these the brutality that is going to take place is perhaps this white horse rider, the Antichrist, symbolizes coming in and breaking the bones of believers, uh, trampling over them, trampling over the church, trampling over anything Christian. Um, There will be a wearing out, a breaking down, not a quick death, but a slow, agonizing one. And this is a sad and and startling news, um, but we've seen this kind of evil before. Charles Coulson, in his book of Kingdoms in Conflict, illustrates the kind of cruelty mentioned here by Daniel in describing the brutality of Hitler's strategy to, listen to me, wear down the Jewish people in the concentration camps. Listen to this. The first Nazi, according to uh, Colson, he writes this research, the first Nazi concentration camp opened in 1933. In one camp, hundreds of Jewish people survived in a disease-infested barracks on little food, just a little, and through some back-breaking work. But each day, the prisoners were marched to the compounds giant factory where tons of human waste and feces and garbage were distilled into alcohol to be used as a fuel additive. 
Even worse than the nauseating smell was the realization that they were fueling the Nazi war machine. Colson went on to write, Prisoners went mad. They ran from their work only to be shot by their guards and electrocuted or electrocuted by the uh, fence. Hitler's plan was not to kill the Jews quickly. Hitler's plan was to make it very slow and very, very painful. So is the cruelty of the Antichrist. He will wear people down. He will be an absolutely cruel uh, leader. Additionally, he will be a controlling leader. Control like you've never seen before. I mentioned in the introduction story of me as a kid uh, acting like an idiot um, prior to my understanding of the Bible and understanding the Christian faith very well. Um, He will assume a, a world power where there will be a mark in which everybody's got to work through him for global currency, exchange rates, and total control. And so this uh, controlling leadership, though, I find it very, very interesting in studying the scriptures. It's not going to happen by a, simply a domineering overthrow, although he will do that. Many global leaders in our world in the future will hand over power to this individual. Um, perhaps it's because because of the wake of the rapture is going to create such economic instability. Once the millions of believers leave earth, factories will be shut down. There'll be a political crisis, a military crisis, a health crisis, pandemics like you've never seen before. All this is going to happen. And so they, their people are going to need leadership. All the good and godly people will be gone from the planet earth. And this is a perfect time for a a global leader to arise and try to bring control in the midst of chaos. The great Mussolini, the Italian dictator, the one that inspired Adolf Hitler, once said this, strutting in force across the Mediterranean world, was asked, how did you rise to power so quickly? And he answered, he said, I found Europe full of empty thrones, and I simply just walked in and I took one of them. He was an evil dictator himself. But how did he get to his power? He's working in the wakes of war. He's preying upon the vulnerable. In times that we see ahead with this Antichrist, uh, it won't be hard for people to want to elect a global CEO. How many of you guys might be uh, familiar with the United Nations? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the United Nations. The United Nations is a general assembly, and uh, the first president of the United Nations um, is also one who was a key planner in the European economic community in 1957, trying to recover from war, uh, tried to gain a global stability in the world, and listen to what he said about uh, needing some leadership. He said, we do not want another committee. We have too many already. What we want is a man sufficient in stature to hold the allegiance of all the people to lift us up out of this economic crisis, this mess that we're sinking into. Send us such a man, and whether he be a god or a devil, we will receive him. 
What's startling to me is that, is listen to me, when you're in trouble, you will do anything. Months ago, I, I lost my wedding ring, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm ordering a new one. I'm going to uh, get a new one really soon, but I lost it in the bottom of Bartlett Lake, and I went down there, and I was scuba diving with a buddy friend of mine. He's like a Marine. He's all jacked and ripped and real tough, and he told me, he said, listen, when you go down underwater, and if you run out of air, you'll do, you'll do anything. You'll act real stupid. And he goes, honestly, so when you get to 500 pounds of pressure, I need you to go up. And if you dare run out of air, and you will go crazy, I'm telling you. He said, uh, you'll go crazy, and you'll probably try to rip off my air regulator. And he goes, if you do, I'll knock you out. And he's big, and I said, hey, dude, we're cool, okay? I'll go up. We're cool. His point was, when you're in trouble, you'll do anything. When the world is reeling from the the, the, the question of the rapture, there's going to be all sorts of crazy speculations. What happened to the millions of people? UFOs got them. No, the, the people that had a Christian conscience are going to be like, no, that was the rapture. I missed it. And the world's going to be in chaos. And then here comes this leader. And just like the president of the United Nations said, send us a devil, send us a man. I don't care. Send us a God. We'll do anything. This is exactly what will happen. Lenin once said, the surest way to overthrow an existing social order is to find it with a leadership-less culture when you're scrambling and you're in trouble. So this Antichrist will be a controlling leader. Let's look at the scripture and see where this, is, this idea comes from. In Revelation chapter 17, verses 12 through 13, the Apostle John again gives us some very helpful information. Revelation chapter 17, verses 12 through 3. Look what he does. This guy studied Old Testament. He studied Daniel. He studied prophetic literature. And then he writes it down. He says, and the ten horns that you saw are ten kings. Ha ha. Some people have thought, no, 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 those are ten kings from the time of the first century. Um, no, that, that's called the imperial view. Um, I don't think so. Um, he says, and the ten horns that saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power. It's a future thing, that global alliance. But they are to receive authority as kings for one hour. That's a time frame. That means a very short period of time together with the beast. What does that mean? It means that, just like I said earlier, the Antichrist is going to rise. He's going to get 10 global leaders, 10 kings. Daniel chapter 7, verse 24 clarifies that. And then John right here, the apostle says that, and they're going to have this royal authority over all the world, and together with the beast, they're all going to be working. But then guess what the Antichrist is going to do? Rip out three, and then he's going to rip out some more. But look what it says how this is going to happen. Verse 13, look at this. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They're, they're, they're disillusioned. They're desperate. So in times of desperation, and when you're in a really bad spot, you'll do anything. I think this is also going to happen with the church. I think there will be many churches that just unfold, like, and folks that were left behind are going to be there with the church, and they'll just hand over the keys to the church, to this new world government, this antichrist, and they'll just run the thing. 
During Hitler's regime, he met with many uh, church leaders um, and convinced them to open their doors and that he would help protect them. And guess what he did later? He came in and he ripped down their crosses and put up the swastika. And then he killed all them all. This Antichrist is going to be an incredibly controlling leader. Uh, the Antichrist will have a new church. He'll do what Muhammad, what Buddha, what Gandhi, what they could never do. He will do it. He will unite all religions to one. Doesn't that sound like the spirit of our times? Universalism? Don't we all like uh, this idea, man, no, okay, heaven and hell, uh, well, you know, if you just be a good person and do your own thing, then you'll, you'll get to heaven. I, maybe they all lead to one, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one gets to the Father through me. In Acts, it says, there is salvation in the name of Jesus above all other names. There is no other name in heaven or earth that a man can be saved but through Jesus. And so the Antichrist is going to set up a new church. It'll be the new Antichrist church, or the first Antichrist church, or the second Antichrist church. It'll be a, a meltdown of, 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 of views, old and new. Atheists and agnostics will convert over to uh, this new world religion. And it'll be a, it'll, people will love it, because it's a new, every, everybody gets in. But you just got to accept this Antichrist. So I don't think he's going to have the name Antichrist, or I don't think he's going to walk around with the name Beast, but he's going to have something. People are going to buy in. There'll be a new ID system as well. Um, scripture tells us in Revelation 13, 16 through 18, very clearly, this is what, if I would have known this was really, really in the Bible, I would not have acted like an idiot back in junior high. Revelation 13, 16 through 18, it says, He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which, is, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. So it'll either be his name or, or the number. Wisdom is needed here, John says. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. So what's going on here? There's a new ID system that's going into place. It's for all people, whether you're rich or whether you're poor. All those that are left behind are going to have no way to buy or sell anything without that mark. The Bible predicts kind of this cashless society. Today, we have a debit cards, credit cards, fast pass cards, apps on our phones, online bill pays, text pays, barcode scanners, QR codes. And I have to admit, I might really like to get rid of carrying a phone and a wallet. Because like I sit on, down on a hard bench or something with a big wallet, and I don't have tons of cush back here. And when I sit down on the thing, it like jacks my back up, you know? So I don't like carrying that. But I would never go so far to do what some companies are doing. They're taking advantage of this right now. This is perhaps why Verichip, right now a company, is offering digital implants of one's personal information inside one's body. So what is this mark? Well, the mark could be a digital implant. The mark could be a, a mark. It could be a brand. It could be a tattoo. I, I, I don't know. 
But somewhere in it, the, 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 the serial number will be 666, or it'll have some kind of name of that, uh, the Antichrist. People have been doing these implants with pets for many, many years, and now people are opting into this program as well. And there will be total control. Um, right now, uh, there's a, there is a lot of control in, uh, uh, that's going on behind the scenes with technology. Technology, while it is a great gift, and I believe God's going to use technology for worldwide evangelization even during the time of the tribulation, technology will be a key marker of, of how the Antichrist operates. Um, right now, there's global positioning systems, tracking systems are installed on most people's phones and they don't even know it. Um, Google right now is, in, is being sued as a violation of privacy, uh, tracking people's personal information. Fo- every photo that you take is geotagged unless you disable that. Technology is, is a foreshadow of the control that will come in the future. I, I, I absolutely believe that. Um, as we see uh, what Scripture lays out, there will be no... Uh, this this total control from this Antichrist. I don't think there'll be any exchange rates either. There'll be one global currency. It'll be whatever the Antichrist and his 10 global leaders are going to do. You cross the border, go into Mexico, or you go overseas, no exchange rates. Um, There'll be one global currency, and you say to me, oh, I don't know if that could ever happen. Well, According to economic experts, they've actually been having discussion for many years in Europe, Africa, and the Middle East to come together for one currency. So in the time of the Antichrist, there's just one currency. There's not all sorts of different currencies. There's one. And you can't buy or sell anything unless you take that mark. And that mark will indicate your allegiance to the Antichrist, who's empowered by Satan. And there is no, oh, I'm sorry, I, I did it wrong. No, in that point in time, it's not a joke. The, the mark of the beast is, is a separating line for those that are alive during the tribulation time to say, I stand with Satan or I stand with God. And God's grace is huge during the tribulation. There's going to be millions of people that come to faith in Jesus Christ during the time of the tribulation, but they're still going to have to suffer. And that's why the warning is so important right now for us to realize that we need to trust Jesus Christ. We need to keep a, a, the Bible in, in, as our, as our uh, foundation and our structure. And everything we see right now is a foreshadowing of the things that are, are to come. I don't think that all the things that are happening in worldwide events, pandemics, the Abrahamic peace accord, uh, all that are direct fulfillments of prophecy right now. I think those are foreshadowing, setting the stage for what is to come. All the technology you see, it's all foreshadowing. The next big event for you and me, ladies and gentlemen, is the rapture. And so that's the good news. And you say to me, well, give me more evidence about the rapture. I've taught on it. So if you uh, want to go back and, and, and jump in and listen to a 45-minute uh, teaching on the rapture, you can do that. But I'll give you two verses real quick. Revelation 3.10 says this. The Apostle John, I think he's teaching a rapture. I don't know if he knew exactly what it was or what was going on, but he knew when he's writing down the, all this crazy stuff in Revelation about all the trials and tribulations, he says this, and he records what Jesus says, because you have kept my word about patience and endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the, what? Whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Um, 
John is, is recording uh, the idea, the words of Jesus, and saying that he'll keep us from the hour of trial. Additionally, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica about God's airlift program to rescue us from this tribulation. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17, perhaps one of the greatest passages on the rapture. It says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven. That's an amen. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. He's coming. With a cry command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet, it's going to be loud. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Those are all believers that have passed away in times past uh, during the church age will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are those that are leftover believers during the church age, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, I love Air Jordan, but Air Lord is a lot better. To meet the Lord in the air, and we will always be with the Lord. And look what Paul writes to the Thessalonians. This is why I believe, too, in such a strong view of the rapture, because why would he give this hope? Look what he says. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You and me, man, we got to encourage one another. These are hard times. These are tough times. We need to encourage one another. In a time like this, we need to encourage one another. Encourage somebody today. Because we're all going through hard times right now. A whole country is going through hard times. Our world's going through a hard time. Encourage one another today. The Lord will never leave us. The Lord will never forsake us. He is with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I pray that we would apply it in our lives. I pray we would encourage one another, God, because we have a great hope. We've got your airlift operation in waiting. Lord, the time of the rapture, we do not know, but we do know that your word tells us that we'll be saved from the hour of trial, and we give thanks for that. For all my friends that do not know if they are believers in Jesus Christ, I pray today is the day that they say, I'm simply trusting in you today, Lord. Take control of my life. Forgive me of my sins. I trust you as Lord and Savior. And Father, for all of us as believers, or let, this, let us be encouragers of one another as brothers and sisters in Christ to keep going, to keep speaking up and standing up for truth and helping share and show the love of Christ in a world that desperately needs you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.